Well, good morning, Gresham Bible Church. Great to see everybody. Like Josh said, as our service leader, if you didn't get a chance during fellowship break, please make sure at some point after church to go by the tables in the back and grab some really good books, a book either for your own spiritual good or for the spiritual good of someone else. And as you get some books and you read them, um, I'd love to hear what you think about any of these books. And I just have to call out real quick the two men who are in matching flannel shirts here at the left to my left. Well done, brothers. All right. Yes, I'm going to be distracted the whole message. So uh, if you haven't already done so, please turn in your Bible, whether that be a physical Bible or on your phone. If you've forgotten your Bible, life happens. There's some copies of the Bibles in the back. Please make sure and get those. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 18, and today we're going to work our way through the first verse of chapter 4. I think you'd agree with me so far in Colossians, haven't we seen the supremacy of Jesus Christ over and over again. It's the resounding drumbeat of the book. Well, today, God's word is going to press that reality, the reality of the supremacy of Jesus Christ, into our everyday lives. And not only into our everyday lives, but into some of the most sensitive areas of our everyday lives. Into our marriage relationships for those who are married into our parenting for those who are parents or who are children of parents, right? And into our work. Three of the most sensitive things God's word is going to address in our text today. And before we dive in, I just want to say this to like jump on the grenade. Our text today is a good text. It's God's word. And it can be a hard text especially for maybe those who've experienced difficulties in a marriage, in a struggling marriage, or maybe in a relationship that you would even classify as abusive. Okay, I just want to call that out. Some of you could be bringing that to the text today. Our text today can also be difficult for those of you who have had a difficult relationship with your parents. Maybe you didn't even know your bio parents. It can also be difficult for those of you who are parents who have difficult relationships with your kids. Okay, so I just want to acknowledge all of this up front, but I want to do that in a way not to distract or make apologies for God's word, because the text that's in front of us is a thus saith the Lord text. We're going to read here in a minute, and I want us to hear it, the goodness and the beauty of our God, like what we just sang about, because some of these verses, again, they've been misunderstood or even misused over the years, right? But just because that's the case, I don't want us to miss what God's word has to say for us about his goodness and the goodness of his design for our lives. So I want us, no matter what you're bringing with you today to church, to this text, right? I want us to press God's word into our lives because that's what God's word is going to be doing for us in our text today. And again, our text, I'm going to read it here in just a minute. It's going to meet us like where the rubber meets the road right? The nuts and bolts of our life, where we really live day to day, God's word is going to meet us there this morning. And what it's going to do, I just want to have, you have this picture in your mind, we're going to cover it in three different ways. And as we close, God's word today is going to work like an acid test. Who loves earth science? Anthony Perez, raise your hand. Who loves investment lingo? Some people could raise their hand. Either way, an acid test helps proves the validity or the health of something, right? 
good job raising your hand on the acid test. Okay, so acid test. God's word today is going to help us see is the gospel transforming your life in these three areas. That's what God's word is going to be doing for us. It's going to work like an acid test in our lives. So let me pray for us, and we're going to dive into God's word today. Please bow your heads and agree with me in prayer. Father God, we need to hear from you today. Give us hearts that are quick to confess, repent, and believe. Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. Quiet any noisy or anxious hearts, including my own. Focus us on you and your goodness and your glory today. Father, I need your help. May I communicate your word clearly, and may we hear what you have for us today. Open your word to us now and open us to your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so follow along with me. I'm going to read God's word aloud for us. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 18. This is God's word. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance of your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So the title of the sermon today is The Gospel for All of Life, and here's the three areas we're going to go. We're going to go into marriages again, we're going to go into parenting, and we're going to go into work, okay? And those are the three movements in our text. First, the gospel as it relates to marriage. Again, what does verse 18 and 19 say? Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So we want to make sure our definition is God's definition when we come to any text, especially a text like this. Submit here means to place or rank under. Love here has in view a sacrificial kind of love. So for wives and husbands, this message that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, to these Christians back in this city, was for these wives, these husbands, to not live by the rules and standard of their culture, but to live out of the gospel in view of the supremacy of Christ. Okay, that's what is happening here in Colossians and why it's applying to husbands and wives. But again, let's be really honest. Me just reading that text could be offensive to people. It's really politically incorrect in our day, isn't it? And you know what's really interesting? The original audience, right? Paul pens the book of Colossians from prison, sends it to this group of Christians he never met. They unroll the scroll and read it aloud together. The original audience, they would have been offended too, but for the different reason than us. Do you know what would have offended the Colossian believers back in the first century? they would have been offended that husbands are called to love their wives. What? I don't have to love my wife. My wife is my property. 
would be the original audience. So they're offended by it. And today, we're probably offended by it in some ways, some of you in this room too. Wait, a wife is to, supposed to submit to her husband? Whoa. And again, I'm not naive. This is a loaded text for us to handle today. So the world back then took offense, and the world today takes offense. But there's a level of irony in that, again, if we're being honest. The world back then and the world now, wouldn't you agree it's filled with broken relationships, with marriages and homes that are more filled by just conflict and disruption and alienation? More relationships are marked by selfishness rather than selflessness, and yet both cultures then and now are offended by God's word. So I just want us to ask an honest question. If people and culture back then were offended by this text, and if people and culture now are offended by this text, wouldn't you agree, like from a logical point of view, the problem isn't the text, the problem's inside of us, right? That we find offense to this, but in different kinds of ways. And again, the problem's inside of us. The problem is not with God's good word or God's good design. So whatever's going on in the dynamics of you know, your inner voice right now, if you're offended by this or not, it's critical that we take a step back and see the context for the commands Paul gives here. Because we want to have our takeaway be what God's word has for us today, not just what we think it's saying or not saying. So the context flows right out of the passage Jordan so faithfully preached for us last week, verses 1 through 17 in Colossians chapter 3, right? Putting on the new self, you're in Christ. So that's the immediate context. And then remember, it's also in view of the first command that we've seen in Colossians. Anybody remember where that was? Chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. We didn't see an imperative or a command until that, and the for excuse me, first command Paul gave in view of the supremacy of Christ, Colossians 2, 6, and 7, is that as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so you're supposed to walk in him. So this is what should be in the back of our minds as we're coming to our text here in Colossians 3, verse 18. Because since the first command back in chapter 2, Paul's basically just been unpacking exploring, applying what this means. What does it mean to walk in this gospel that I received? And then he's pressing us this again into the very nooks and crannies of our life, into our marriages, our parenting, and our work. And then specifically, what's again the verse right before verse 18, this verse that everyone's like, whoa, we're going there today. Yep, we're going there today. What does chapter 3 verse 17 say? And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then, we know this, right? There were no chapter breaks or verses in the original text. So then it just flows right into verse 18. So the command, God's word in chapter 3, verse 17, is teeing up these commands to submit, to love, and to obey. So those commands have to be read in view of what just came before. So in essence, remember Paul is making an argument in our book of Colossians. So in essence, the argument of Paul to these Colossian believers is that their roles in society, whatever role that is, have to be turned towards Jesus Christ. These roles have to be done in view of the supremacy and the perfect love of Christ Jesus. And so you just have to ask here real quick. Like, I'm sure 
you know, if, if you were being really honest again, you probably wish the chapter stopped at verse 17. Why did Paul have to continue after verse 17? And it's, it'd be a lot easier if he did, because then these commands to honor the Lord Jesus in every area of your life, to walk out of this gospel, it would kind of be like hanging in the air in theory, right? It'd be kind of in the abstract, but Paul doesn't stop there because God's word doesn't stop there, because the gospel is for all of life. So Paul, he doesn't stop, right? He's continuing. What does it mean to walk out this gospel in your marriage and your parenting and your work? Because again, the gospel is for all of life. The new self of who we are in Christ is to be brought into every relationship in our life. And I wonder if you noticed when I read it aloud or God's word in front of you, there's a pattern in this as God's word presses into these areas of our life. What's really interesting is that this pattern of the gospel in all of life, Paul starts first with who is more in the powerless position in their original audience, the wife, right? And then the children and then the bondservant. And then he applies it to the one in the more powerful position, the father parent, father again, and the master, the boss in a working relationship. So that's the pattern that's happening here. And again, if you just want to hear it kind of in modern you know, language, what's happening here in our text is Paul is going to be real with us. He's going to give us some real talk about how the gospel applies to our marriages, to our parenting, and to our work. And he does this, again, we just have to see why, because we have different um, lenses we could read this through that maybe aren't the best or most healthy. The reason he does this is because the gospel is really supposed to work in every area of our life. It's not just a gospel that's in the abstract. It's a gospel that's to work in your family and in your work. So these verses are going to show us, they're going to peel back the layers and put us under the microscope as an acid test. Is the gospel really transforming your life in your family, in your marriage and parenting, and in your work? And so I just want to say there's so much that could be said here. I'm really hoping this message today, I'm going to hear from a bunch of people this week and next, like, hey, can we talk about this? Yes, let's talk about this. Let's not avoid it, okay? But I just want to say a few things to help us kind of lean into this charge for wives in the room and for husbands in the room. And I want to do this because I just want to address any misconceptions we can have and just get those out on the table, okay? So I want our hearts and our ears tuned to the frequency of the gospel. So regarding the command in verse 18 for wives to submit to their husbands, let's be crystal clear Men and women are both created in the perfect image of God and are equal in essence, in worth, in rights, and in dignity. A hundred percent, full stop, tons of exclamation marks on that, okay? And men and women are also in distinct roles. And this distinction isn't a flaw, it's a design feature because it's mirrored to the creation order before Genesis 3, before the fall. And a wife's submission to her husband, it's not because she is in any way inferior at all. That is not what God's word says. That is a misconception that we bring to the text from our sinful inclinations, okay? Marriage is a partnership where husbands and wives are called to different roles, but it's a partnership, a loving partnership. 
But wouldn't you all agree with me? Like you could be like, yeah, yeah. But is that what we see? Is that what we experience in our own life and the world around us? And it's not. And the reason it's not is because of sin, because of the fall, because Genesis 3 is in our Bibles. Because ever since the fall, the curse of sin has made there be alienation between men and women in our marriages, right? Everyone wants to be in dominance, in command, in control. And this is because sin in Genesis 3, it fractures our relationship vertically with our good and holy God, and then it fractures relationships horizontally, okay? So that's the backdrop that Paul has in his mind as he's writing this letter to the group of the Colossian Christians. Ever since the fall, really, we want to be Lord. And this is true for all of us in our relationships. So the call here is for wives. Literally, the call here is to fit in with the life of their husband, like the picture of Christ and the church in the parallel passage in Ephesians chapter 5. A wife is to submit to her husband, what does God's word say? As is fitting in the Lord. So the wife is called to a submissive kind of love. Why? Because a Christian wife is united to Christ and she's living out of that submissive love of Christ and is working that out. So it's a love of Christ that animates her. She submits to her husband, not because her husband is perfect or awesome. She submits to her husband because she submits to the Lord Jesus Christ. And she submits to her husband as is fitting in the Lord. Again, there's so much it could be said, which means only as it is according to the will of God. If the husband is calling his wife to submit in anything that is against the word of God, she has to obey God rather than man, okay? That's what, how we need to read our text. So a wife is called to be a submitting partner in marriage. And this submission, men and women, husbands and wives, is a voluntary submission, Men, this is nothing that you are to do or to control. This is to come from your wife following Christ, okay? So these are things that we just have to have in our minds because this text is about the orderly functioning of marriage and how that was working out in this Roman culture to the Colossian Christians. And Paul's like, no, you have a new identity in Christ now. This is how these roles are to work. Okay, I had to say that, but the weight of this text, brothers, in this room falls on us. It does not fall on the wives and the women. The weight falls on us. So the husbands here, just so many things I could prove that with, but in the simplest way, who has the most words addressed to them in Colossians 3? The dudes, right? There's three times as many words here towards the husband, towards the men, as to the wives. So there's a weight and responsibility of what the husband is called to, isn't there? In verse 19, a helpful way to think about it is the husband is called to be the loving leader in your marriage partnership with your wife. A loving leader in the marriage partnership with your wife. So like Christ, Our love as husbands for our wives should be sacrificial. It should be a cross-shaped kind of love. Do you see what God calls husbands to? 
a cross-shaped type of love towards his wife. The love of like Christ for his church, right? And Christ cares about the spiritual health and the holiness of his church. So husbands, you're called to care about the holiness and the spiritual health of your wife. So husbands, reflect on this today and through this week and talk to each other guys about it. Is your wife more like Jesus because she's married to you? Is your wife more like Jesus because she's married to you? Or is she more like Jesus in spite of you? Like that's the weight that God's word has for us here, brothers who are married or who want to be married someday. The essence of being a man is taking responsibility, loving responsibility. So husbands, God calls us to take loving responsibility for sacrificially loving our wives. That's what God's word is calling us to. And it's a beautiful picture. It's not an oppressive picture. It's a Christ-like picture that glorifies God and adorns the gospel. And the only way you can ever taste this or live into this is this gospel that you're to walk out of, okay? And a loving leader, again, there's so much that could be said that I feel like I'm just supposed to say this. A loving leader does not mean you are to make all the decisions in your marriage. That's being a micromanager and a jerk, okay? You're called to be a loving leader because as a loving leader, you should care and value and cultivate your wife's spiritual gifts, her strengths, how she's wired. Like that's what you're called to do, right? So that means you're not going to make all the decisions. And that's probably really good for you that you're not going to do that, right? So don't hear loving leader, oh man, I'm going to just put my fist down and I'm going to tell it like it is. No, you are out of step with the gospel if that's your takeaway from this text. Being a loving leader does not mean domineering. It means humbly loving and shepherding your wife's strengths, her weaknesses, her struggles, and her spiritual gifts. You are acting like a spiritual shepherd as being a loving leader in your home. So it's this kind of loving that cultivates, that builds, that grows, that protects a kind of family, a kind of marriage where you live together, one another in a kind of way where you're both following Jesus, right? And the man as the loving leader should take loving responsibility for this. I wonder, how you, how you feeling about this at this point in time? Like, what's going on inside of you right now? If you're being honest. And again, we're going to say it. You're like, I'm sick of you saying that, Mike. But we are. We're going to try to be an honest church imperfectly, but we're going to be honest. Couldn't you both say for those married in this room, or even maybe that want to be married or have been married, wouldn't you say all of this is kind of scary? Right? Isn't that the word that comes to mind? Man, it's kind of scary. And I and I can say that, not just because I feel that in studying this text this week, I can say that because that is what God's word is saying and pointing us to in the book of Colossians. In two weeks, we're going to look at the verses that come right after this, and Paul just charges them to pray. It's like he has the weight of this on him. He's like, we got to pray. Like, this is scary. This is beyond us. So what God's word calls us to is scary. It's the reality of this that Paul, it compels Paul, brothers and sisters, we need to pray. So wives, 
the call to submit to your husband has to be scary in some ways if you're being honest, doesn't it? Again, if you're being honest, it's scary. And husbands, we most here in this text are on the hook. This is scary for us too. Isn't it scary to lead your wife with love, right? That's what you're called to do with Christ-like sacrificial love. That's how you're supposed to lead. That's scary. And really, when you boil it all down, the reason it's scary is because that's also a call for submissive love of following Jesus Christ. So our call here is scary. It's beyond us. It's nothing we can do in our own strength. So men, again, I'm not trying to like, but I just want to let God's word work in us as it's been working in me this week and coming to this text. Brothers, the call to love your wife sacrificially is scary because when God calls you to be married, he's calling you to come and die. And that's a scary call. This guy named Kent Hughes says this, there should be a slide for this. Marriage is a call to die to self. And a man who does not die for his wife does, does not come close to the love to which he is called. So brothers, for those of us in this room who are married and those who want to be married someday, you are called to lovingly lead your wife in a kind of way that she trusts you, in a kind of way where submitting is less and less scary because she sees more and more of Jesus in your life. That's what our call here is today. And brothers, we are responsible for helping our wives to fit into our lives with how we love her as we follow Jesus, okay? This is not on you. This is not a marriage conference, three tips to a healthy marriage. This is the gospel for all of life pressed into the deepest and most intimate of our relationships. So if we're a faithful leader as men, you know what you have to be? You have to be a faithful follower. You have to be a faithful follower of Jesus. If you're like, yeah, I'm a leader, and no one ever sees you following Christ, you are not in step with the gospel and what God's word calls us to. Because we're to love and lead in a Jesus kind of way, with truth and with grace, with strength and with humility. So again, if, if guys, if, if you're not hearing anything else, I want you to hear this. If you're to lovingly lead, you have to be a follower. You have to be a follower of Jesus Christ, of God's word and God's ways. You have to be that in order to be the kind of loving leader you're called to be in your home. Because if you're not following Jesus and you're all about leading and not following, you're ultimately your loving leadership is just about yourself. And that's out of line with what we're seeing in the book of Colossians, where Christians are to be about the supremacy of Christ, not the supremacy of self. So men, brothers, oh, the gospel we received is the gospel we're to walk in. That's the only way to live into what we're called and who we're called to be. So I just want to encourage us with this briefly. I know this brings up a lot of different thoughts and ideas, and like there's probably tons of books. You won't see them back on this bookshelf, but there's probably tons of books about here's how to do this, and here's the methods, and here's what this means. Ah, don't have that as your takeaway, okay? 
these principles God calls us to is gonna look different in Carrie and I's marriage than in some of your marriages. And that's because each husband is different, each wife is different, different personalities, different even cultures you come from in your family, right? Different strengths, different spiritual gifts. So don't put on yourself or put on other people, here's exactly how this plays out in a Christian home. No. Okay, I want us to taste, to feel the principle of this, the weightiness, the grace, the beauty of it, not making it into a how-to kind of thing. Because in all of this, the way the husband loves his wife as he loves Christ and the way in which the wife trusts her husband as she trusts and follows Christ is the way in which Christian marriages can flourish and adorn the gospel to a broken world, okay? Paul is not pulling any punches, is he here? This is real talk about how the gospel is for all of our life. And so one more thing I just wanna say, since we're going there, we're gonna keep going there. Um, If you were to read this text just with like, I have to wear glasses today because my contacts are bugging me. So we're in a different set of glasses today, different set of lenses. If you were to look at this text just through the lenses of our Western culture in 2022, this doesn't make a lot of sense, right? And the reason why it doesn't make a lot of sense is because sin doesn't want us to see and trust the goodness and the beauty and the grace of God's good design for relationships and for marriage. Our text provides us with a key moment just to highlight that God has designed his creation with two distinct different genders, and God has designed marriage to be between a man and a woman. Okay, that's what this is saying here. God created men and women in his image for his glory, but our sinful world is always wanting to distort God's good design. That's been the story since Genesis 3, okay? I think we'd all agree that our world right now, doesn't it feel like, doesn't it seem like that there's so much confusion about these things? And there's a helpful book on the back if you wanna read more about this. But Colossians chapter three here, God's word here, shows us that God cares about manhood, about womanhood, and about marriage. So let me encourage you in this. Again, this is a heavy, intense kind of text. Let me just encourage you in this, right? If you have questions about gender, God has answers. If you have questions about marriage, God has answers. And his answers are true and good and beautiful and gracious and satisfying. And the cross of Jesus Christ is the proof. That's what we can say from what we've been seeing in the book of Colossians so far. So our passage is basically working like this, like a megaphone, right? Maybe you've been at a college football game, huge megaphone, or someone on the street. Our text is functioning like a megaphone, and it's declaring a gospel-saturated marriage is a vivid day-to-day display of who Jesus is and how the gospel works. Wow. We're not going to stop, though. This brings us to our our second point in our text, parenting, our second emphasis. Look down at verses 20 and 21. What does God's word say? Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. I love that there's a lot of kids in the room today. Kids, it's interesting that God wrote the book of Colossians and addressed children. 
implying there were children in the original audience, in the congregation of Colossians, and the gospel's for all of life. It's for kids too. And so Paul is pressing that here. I do have to share uh, Colossians 3.20. I want to give a lot of credit to my parents. Looking back, that was the first Bible verse they had me memorize. Isn't that awesome? And I, I remember like in the kitchen having to recite that to them before I was getting in trouble. So well done, my mom and dad. Okay, Colossians 3.20. But here in our verses in chapter, or in verses 20 and 21, again, Paul is putting the gospel down into our everyday lives, and the focus is on the life of the family for those who have kids. It's for parents, and specifically, again, it's for fathers. And that focus has a horizon to it. And the horizon that Paul is encouraging, he's pastoring us in, is the horizon of God, not just about the children or the parents in front of you. And the reason I can say that is because the most common phrase and word here in our short passage is the Lord, the word or the idea of the Lord. That's used seven different times, okay? So ultimately, children, for those of you that are still in your parents' house, for those that grew up as children, that'd be all of us, we're to obey our parents because ultimately we want to obey the Lord. Look at verse 21. What are fathers charged with? We, me as a dad, am charged not to provoke my children lest they become discouraged. Other translations take this as they, other translations say, fathers, don't embitter your children. Don't irritate or exasperate your children is the idea here, what's happening here in Colossians. So while then, again, this is true for for homes where there's, there's two parents, but the weight of this, a particular kind of weight, it seems to fall on fathers here. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have addressed the fathers in the original audience. So we have to again sit in this for a minute, don't we? Dads, in order to not do this, in order to avoid provoking our children and thereby discouraging them, don't we just have to ask? Because Paul's getting really practical, so we have to be practical. How does that happen? How do you as a dad provoke or embitter your children? In other words, dads, how can we crush our kids? And I think there are many ways, right, we could talk about how that could happen. But I think there's one particular way we can crush our kids, one consistent way that seems to be a theme um, in my life and in lives around me. And that theme is that we crush our kids by expecting in our kids the very things we're proud about in ourselves. Man, I'm proud about my work ethic. My kids don't quite have my work ethic. I crush them because they can tell that I'm disappointed in them, right? Whatever we're proud about in ourselves and then our kids don't meet that expectation, we crush them. It could be about your spiritual performance. It could be about like your status. It could be about your abilities, maybe your athletic abilities or your business acumen or whatever it is. What you're proud about in yourself, if you lay that expectation on your kids, you're going to crush them. You're going to discourage them and provoke them towards discouragement like what's happening here in Colossians chapter 3. So again, whatever you're proud about of yourself and you expect that of your kids that crushes your kids because they can't meet those expectations. 
But again, what's really behind those expectations? If I'm laying that on my kids, okay? I'm gonna direct this towards me too. If I'm laying those things on my kids, I'm making that more about myself. That's my pride that's at work and how I'm crushing my kids. And again, I want us to press into this because God's word is pressing into this. This is especially, particularly dangerous and true spiritually. When a father demands of his children a level of relationship or commitment to the Lord that he has never had, this crushes your kids and leads to spiritual discouragement and frustration. And do you know why this is? It's because dads, if that's happening, we're failing the acid test of the gospel transforming our lives. We're failing the acid test of the supremacy of Christ in our lives because we're making it more about the supremacy of ourselves that really matters. So fathers and mothers listening to, right? Our kids are our first mission field. And you are gonna cultivate the soil of that mission field, the receptiveness of your kids' hearts towards Jesus and how your kids see the gospel is by how that's living out in your life, okay? The receptiveness of your kid's heart towards Jesus is going to be in proportion, in relationship, in some sort of degree to the receptiveness you have of the gospel at work in your life. Charles Spurgeon once said this, train up a child in the way he should go, but be sure you go that way yourself, okay? That's what's happening here in Colossians 3. And this is a hard word, but it's a good word. It's a word we can trust. Dads, again, I'm just talk to dads. If your kids don't see the supremacy of Jesus in your day-to-day life, not just on a bookshelf somewhere you talk about in theory, in abstract, if they don't see the supremacy of Christ Jesus in your day-to-day life, in how you sacrificially love your wife, in how you love your children, in how you confess and repent, in how you love Jesus more than the world offers status and stuff and temporary pleasure. If they don't see the supremacy of Jesus matter and make a difference in your life, in how you put the needs of others ahead of yourself, then your parenting, your fathering dads is probably provoking and discouraging your kids. Oh, man. The gospel is for all of life. The implications of the gospel go far and wide. Let's not put comfortable, tidy little fences around that, okay? I wanna share one more quote with you that has wrecked me in a gracious gospel life-giving kind of way, and I trust it's gonna do the same for you. I wanna share a quote with you by Soren Kierkegaard, not someone you should go to for all of life's questions, okay? But this is a really good quote. And Soren Kierkegaard, he, he wrote this probably, it's in his diary and like people that have studied his, his life think this is a, a comment that he's writing that's probably about his own dad. Listen to this. Soren Kierkegaard writes this in his diary. The worst thing in the world for a child is not that the child should have a free thinker, a secularist or an atheist as a father. The worst possible thing in the world for a child is to have a father who professes all the orthodoxies of the Christian faith, but whose life before his children makes it so plain that he doesn't really trust in the Lord. Okay, 
That is the discouraging, the provoking that's happening here in Colossians 3. So our families have to be the place where our kids see that the gospel is true and good and trustworthy and life-giving and gracious and beautiful, okay? Our homes, for those of us with kids, are our mission field. And again, we're not gonna even stop there because God's word doesn't stop there. So we've seen so far the gospel as it relates to all of life in marriages, in parenting. And then the third emphasis in our text is about how the gospel relates to our work. Look down at God's word in front of you, starting in verse 22. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So just like in the prior text, who's addressed first? the person in the more powerless position, and then the person in the more powerful role or position. So again, Colossians is pushing the reality, the implications, some may say the entailments of the gospel into our real and everyday lives. Because many in this congregation that Paul was writing to, again, a congregation he never met personally, but many in this congregation were what he's saying here. He's addressing them. There were bondservants. There were maybe even some slaves and masters in this congregation because many in that time in the Colossian congregation were in these type of roles. And again, there's so much happening in our text, but I just think it's really important to call this out. Nowhere does God's word support slavery, okay? God's word does not condone that or commend slavery or servitude, but Paul is pastorally addressing all the members of this Colossian church, including the bond servants and masters, because the gospel is for all of life. So Paul is calling these Christians in Colossians, and God's word calls us as Christians in Gresham to demonstrate that the implications of the gospel even work in the worst of all situations. It's easy to say the gospel works in the best of situations when you're feeling good about things. It's really easy to say, ah, the gospel doesn't work in really tough relationships or in really tough situations. And there's a lot of nuance to that, right? I wanna lean into the fullness of the gospel, not the sim- in a simplistic kind of way, but the gospel works for all of life. And how does this apply today, right? bond servants, slaves, really the principle or trajectory, we can apply it to us. For those of us in this room that you're an employee, right? Or you're a boss, maybe you're even your own boss. Either way, this word applies to employers and employees, to individual contributors and to bosses. In view of the supremacy of Jesus in all things, Christian employees and employers should do good work and your work life displays the worth and glory and supremacy of Jesus, okay? We're to work heartily as to the Lord in all things because the gospel is for all of life. So those of you in this room that have even one person reporting to you on the org chart, okay? You're a boss who's a Christian. Because of the gospel, 
You are to treat your employees, what does God's word say? Justly and fairly, because Jesus is Lord. Because you serve Jesus, you treat your employees justly and fairly. Think of all the implications of that in your work life. These verses show us that our work life matters to God because your work life is an opportunity to trust in God and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is true, again, not just in theory on a shelf, in our real day-to-day lives. So whether you right now are finding yourself unemployed or underemployed, or you're in your dream job or like the furthest thing in the world from your dream job, this still applies. Your work life matters to God, and we're to work as unto our Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason why, again, remember that picture we're supposed to have in our mind? Our marriage, our parenting, and our work functions like an acid test to see if the gospel is really working and really transforming in our life. So I'd encourage you to consider, and you could even talk to people in your community group or just friends, people you see this next week, I think it'd be a healthy question to ask and share with one another. How does your work life show that the gospel is transforming you? How does the acid test of the gospel in your work life working? What's it showing about how the gospel is working in your life or not? And again, there's gospel implications here. And one of those is that there's dignity in our work because our because of the dignity of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? He's calling the gospel for all of life, no matter what you're doing. For those of you in your first job, guys, when I come order um, a supreme chicken sandwich at Chick-fil-A and you ask me for how many sauces, and I always say thank you because I want to make you say my pleasure, okay? Even that job, there's dignity in it because of the dignity of your Lord Jesus Christ. And because of the gospel, there's so many implications of the fullness and the supremacy of Christ. Because of the gospel, you can have a work life like this because your identity ultimately isn't in your work. And because it's not in your work, that frees you up to do really good work because you're not a people pleaser. You're not working just to please your boss and telling him or her exactly what they want to say. Okay, You are working as unto the Lord, and that frees you up to live into your strengths and do really, really good work. Work can't crush you as a Christian because your identity is in Christ, not your workplace. Okay, Can you see just how liberating, how freeing, how glorious, how beautiful, how gracious the gospel and its implications are for all of our lives? So let's close. As we close this good, hard, powerful, life-giving passage today, we've looked at the quality of our spiritual lives in view of our closest relationships, haven't we? The relationship of a husband and wife, the relationships of parents and children, the relationships of employers and employees. And again, this is because the gospel of Jesus Christ is for all of our lives And our walk as Christians, the walking out of this gospel is a lifelong process, isn't it? As we turn more and more of our lives over to our good Lord Jesus Christ. 
and the perfect love of Christ. Again, I just want you to have this picture as a takeaway. Colossians is about the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. If Paul stopped his letter at verse 17 and left it in the abstract, it wouldn't really be as good news for us. The gospel is for all of our life. It changes our relationships. And because it does that, that shows the nature of the gospel. Jesus Christ entered our broken world, our everyday messed up world with broken relationships, didn't he? And the gospel redeems us and restores us. The love of Jesus, the supremacy of Christ Jesus has to get deep inside of your heart and deep inside of your life, deep inside of your real relationships, because that's the DNA of the gospel. Christ Jesus, the supreme king of the universe, entered a broken world to save sinners like us. That's the nature of the gospel. Again, Colossians 3 confronts us with that acid test picture. Is the gospel at work and transforming your life in the kind of way God calls us to? And just briefly, I'm almost done, but I just have to say this. Um, If you're here in this room and you don't know Jesus, or you're wrestling with whether to trust Jesus or not, we're really glad you're here today, okay? And I wonder, I'd even love to talk to you back at the book table later, I wonder what you think about everything you've heard here from Colossians 3, because it might not fit with your cultural appetite about relationships, but I just want to ask you to consider for those who don't know Jesus yet or are wrestling in their faith, okay? What do you allow to disagree with you, right? You have to sit in that because do you have to agree with everything God says in order to believe in God? And if you won't believe in the God of the Bible because of what he says about marriage and God's design, how do you know that whatever God or spirituality you're following, how do you know that's not just a manifestation of yourself? that you're making God into your own image. In order for God to be God, in order for Christ to have his full supremacy in which he does, God has to disagree with us and push against some of our cultural assumptions, doesn't he? And if that's you again, I'd encourage you to take your questions and your doubts to our good and gracious Lord Jesus Christ. And then for the Christian, again, we started here, I just wanna end here. Any problem here is not a problem with God's good design in our relationships, or maybe, yeah, my good word, man, I hope my spouse heard this today. No, you're missing it. The problem is with sin that's inside of each of us, isn't it? The problem is my heart that wants to be supreme, that wants to be in dominance. And I bet the same is true for you if you're being really honest. Our sin makes us want to have dominion in our relationships. It makes us want to shift the blame in our relationships. Again, that's the big story of Scripture. So if we're being honest in view of God's Word today, when the gospel is applied to our real relationships, doesn't it just highlight how far we all fall short? Right? I want us to hear the gospel today. Yeah, this is hard. Yeah, wow, we went there today. Yeah, we did. Okay, but this should highlight our need of the gospel because it highlights how far all of us in this room fall short of what God calls us to be. 
So what do you do in light of God's word in front of us this morning? Again, I just want to encourage us because that's what Paul was doing with the Colossians. He was exhorting and encouraging them. He was pastoring them. Let me encourage you to confess and repent where you fall short in view of God's word today. And then don't stop there. Turn to Jesus and find the restoration and the hope and the healing that only his grace provides. Because again, what God calls us to as men and women, as husbands and wives, as parents, as employees, as employers, what God calls us to is so far beyond our ability to do. And that's kind of the whole point because it highlights our lack and our need and our dependence for the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ in all of our lives. So Gresham Bible Church, turn to the Lord Jesus in view of this word today, the one who came into the world to save sinners like us, the one who perfectly presses his grace into our lives, the one who took our guilt and our shame on the cross and instead gives us his life. Turn to Jesus the king who became a suffering servant, who graciously gives us his life and this gospel to walk in. Turn to Jesus, the only one who ever has and who ever will lead and love perfectly. Turn to Jesus, the only one who's supreme enough to satisfy the deepest desires of our hearts, the deepest need of relationship. Here in a minute, I'm going to pray and we're going to take communion. And as we're coming to the communion table today, I just, especially in view of this word, I hope the table, the broken bread, and the symbol of God's blood is precious to you today. It should be because of how far we all fall short in these type of ways. We need the restoration and the hope and the healing that only the gospel can bring. Because Christ died for all of my failures and for all of your failures in your marriage, in your parenting, and in your work. Okay, let's take a deep breath before I'm going to tee up the communion table and before we come and get the elements. I'm just going to give us a minute today just to be quiet. Just between you and the Lord Jesus Christ to consider for a minute what you've heard and how God might be calling you to respond today. So a moment of quiet, I'm going to pray for us. Father, we praise your holy and gracious name. We don't offer you anything today, Lord, but our need of you. I pray that each of us in this room, Lord, will feel our desperate need for you, our lack, Father. We praise you for the supremacy and the sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, for those today that are struggling, may they know the sufficiency of your grace. Father, for those who need wisdom, lift their eyes to Jesus. And for those who need strength, ground them in the sure hope of the gospel. Lord, I pray you will grow us as a church family deeper and deeper into your word and into your ways. May we be a gospel kind of people who walk in the gospel and are abounding in thanksgiving. We ask all of this in the supreme name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.